you would open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we'll look at verses 21 to 24 this morning. As you're turning, let me just remind you, Jesus has confronted the religious establishment and he has boldly proclaimed truth at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths there now found in the outer courts of the treasury of the temple. Jesus is still standing. He's still teaching. He has confronted the Pharisees with the reality that he is the light of the world. The world walks in darkness apart from that light. They have been confronted with that reality and that testimony. They are unhappy with what they've heard. But Jesus does not equivocate, nor does He waver in what needs to be said. And we find that in verse 21 of chapter 8. Then He, Jesus, said again to them, I go away, and you will seek Me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Lord, help us. I'm reminded of Jeremiah, your word at times is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. This is a hammer. This is a stick of dynamite. But it is necessary. So Father, do not shelter us from its blows. May we feel, feel the entire weight and impact of the words that Jesus speaks here. And may they find their target and their mark. And may those who have never turned to Christ turn to him this very moment. May those who have realized what we have been saved from. And in all things, may you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. As I read the passage before us this morning, I cannot help but wonder how Jesus would be received if he were to walk into the room this morning and preach as he did in this text. If your view of Jesus is that Jesus came and only spoke positive and affirming things, then this passage is going to absolutely destroy your view of Jesus. If that's what you think Jesus came to do, was to soft pedal and to bring 
pseudo comfort to people and to be loving and always agreeable and acceptable to the people, this passage will absolutely destroy your view of him. If, however, your understanding of Jesus from the scripture as scripture portrays him to be is that he came only to speak the truth, which, by the way, is the only thing he can do. It's impossible for Jesus to do less. He is truth. And he speaks out of the truth that he is. If your understanding is that Jesus came to speak only the truth, and do understand this fundamental principle that only in truth is love really found. Love is not found in lies. Love is not found in compromises. Love is found in truth. Because truth leads to life then this evangelistic text this morning will ring true for you. It will ring as on target and on point for what needs to be said. This past week has been a sorrowful week. As the question about how Christians should respond to sinful actions has been brought to the forefront yet again. And even someone we know and love and have respected has answered in a way that is not in keeping with the example set by Jesus here. When eternity is at stake, when sin is the issue, when love is truly the motive, There is only one right response to boldly proclaim the truth and to proclaim it in such a way that it is undeniable, not able to be confused. Jesus here as he deals with the Pharisees, who deals with the the masses, does not participate in the lie of their rejection of him. He doesn't gather together with him and say, well, that's simply your choice to deny me. I'll stand here with you while you deny me and let matters lie. Jesus did not choose to remain silent as their way of worship, understand air quotes, their way of worship, to continue as somehow it might be acceptable. Merely a different way of looking at things. And he certainly does not accommodate or affirm in gentle ways the error that is clearly leading them to death. He stands up, he speaks up, he points them to the truth so that they might live. In no way can Jesus and the truth be confused in this situation. It's not an option for Jesus here. It's not an option for us at any point in our lives as well to remain silent 
the, the question might come up. So what would Jesus do? Right? WWJD. I don't know if those bracelets are still around. That comes, by the way, from a, a book. And some of you may think that's a modern invention. It's actually not. That comes from a book entitled In His Steps, written by a man named Charles Sheldon in 1896. What would Jesus do? And, and some people, when, when there are situations such as Jesus finds himself in, well, do you speak up? Do you, do you remain silent? Do you, do you not offend? Uh, what do you, I mean, after all, what would Jesus do? You know, brothers and sisters, let me just say, I think at times that question becomes a cop-out because we know exactly what Jesus would do. And the reason we know what Jesus would do is because he did it. He actually followed through. He, he actually acted on something. And so we don't really need to ask the question. We know. Ours is to believe and to accept what he says and then to respond as Jesus would have us to respond. Jesus over and over and over in the gospel in a, in a variety of issues, in a variety of ways, lets us know exactly what we should do. There is an appropriate response to sin that must be clear. That must be straightforward. That, that must be thorough. So that it is clearly understood. Because truth leads to life. It's never cruel to speak in that way. Never. It's never cruel to, to take a stand as Jesus does here in this text. I mean, how many times does Jesus say in these four verses, you are going to die in your sins? Count them. People, if you were to take a preaching class, I guarantee you in most seminaries today, they would say, don't say that. That's offensive. That's not loving. Jesus says, yes, it is. <laughs> because if I don't tell them that, that's exactly what they'll do. They will die in their sins. And so he must speak the truth. It's never cruel to that. Jesus is not cruel in doing what he does, neither in the action or in the words or in the manner. But say it he does, say it he must, and say it we must. Jesus is the greatest evangelist who's ever lived. It wasn't Billy Graham. It wasn't George Whitfield. It's Jesus. Jesus is the greatest evangelist who ever lived. Hey, how about this? He is the only preacher who has ever lived who could actually change the hearts of sinners. No other evangelist can do that. All we can do is get it to the ear. It's up to God himself to get it into the heart. Jesus could do both. And he did. He's the greatest evangelist who's ever lived. But his message is one that begins not with coddling them in error, but with plain 
spoken truth about judgment. Let me tell you why you need to stay around and listen to the rest of the sermon. Because judgment is coming upon you if you don't believe. What an attention getter. Unless you believe what I'm going to say and what follows, you will spend eternity in hell. That ought to get your attention. It should be a warning that that causes you to slam on the brakes and to listen for instructions about how to 180 away from the destruction Jesus warns about. For, For the good news to be good, we need to know why the situation first is bad. And Jesus does that. In the previous engagement of Jesus and the Pharisees in John 8, he's already revealed the problem. They don't know the Father and they don't know him. That's the problem. You're disconnected from life. You are are bathed and wrapped up and totally sold out in death. You are lost in your false belief. You must believe that I am he. He says at the end of our passage this morning, Jesus is straightforward in his judgment. He is straightforward as the righteous judge who is from above. Remember verses 15 and 16. Jesus does not say that he is not a judge, but rather that he simply doesn't judge according to worldly or earthly standards. Don't judge. Hasn't that become the the force field, shield thing that everyone throws up when they're confronted with truth today? Don't judge. Jesus didn't judge. No, Jesus didn't judge according to fallen worldly standards. But judge, he did. That's why it allows him to say what he says this morning. I've made a judgment. You are on your way to hell. You are lost in your sin. And if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. Believe in me. So that that does not come true of your life. There is a judgment. And I want you to see in verse 21, first of all, the danger of this judgment. There are four things in verse 21 that I want you to notice. First is that Jesus is not just any man. He's not just a great teacher because Jesus is on His way back to His Father. But the road back to His Father runs through the cross. He's not just, hey, I came to tell you, you can do with it what you please. I'm just here to, you know, in some way encourage you and help you. And if you continue on, that's between you and God. I just came to deliver the message. My job is done. I'm walking the easy road home. No, Jesus is on his way back to the Father via the cross. Building upon what Jesus began to say in John 3 with Nicodemus. In verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There are no other ways. There are no other routes 
to the Father. I must go by way of the cross. And can you even fathom life if there had never been a cross? Can you even begin to grasp what your eternity and my eternity looks like if Jesus does not go back to the Father, and not only back to the Father, but back to the Father by way of a cross? A cross for which he will be mocked even more by these same enemies who view that as the the judgment and the rejection of God. Can you even fathom Jesus with the Father again without the cross? No, you can't. You can't. He is on his way back to the Father. He is going away. They can't, they can't possibly fathom that. But he is. And this ties into the truth that he's already given. If you go back to chapter 7, just flip over a page to chapter 7 in verse 33. Jesus has already said this. For a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. Chapter 8, verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. Again, what, what Jesus is saying about his going away, they can't understand because they're, they're measuring and judging everything that he's saying by human finite fallen understanding. And he says it doesn't work. It will tie in again to verse 23. Verse, this phrase will in just a moment. As he uh, elucidates his mission even further. They are still looking for salvation by earthly means with earthly outcomes. And Jesus says, this isn't it. I have come as the promised one from the Father to accomplish an eternal, intertrinitarian, covenantal work of redemption from sin. And I am going back to him because I will accomplish it. Now make note of this. Jesus is not going away because they've rejected him. Jesus isn't tucking his tail between his legs and saying, well, they didn't reject me. I mean, they didn't accept me. They rejected me. I'll just go home. Let bygones be bygones. And it's, they just didn't. So I'll, I'll leave. That's not why Jesus is leaving. Jesus is not leaving because he lost. Jesus is leaving for the cause of victory. He makes his stand for the cause of victory. He is going away because he has won. He has triumphed. But he hasn't died on the cross yet. Doesn't matter. It's already done. This has been predetermined, Acts 2. You handed over by the predetermined plan of God. There is nothing to chance. Jesus is leaving because it's a sure thing. And he's leaving in victory over sin and death and hell and the grave. He is leaving to win our victory and... To stand in judgment upon those who reject him. 
This is the Messiah's mission to come, to die, to return. This is the apex Jesus speaks of, of world history. This is the Mount Everest of true religion. This is God's final word about salvation to men. There is nothing else, brothers and sisters. Nothing. We have no other message. This is it. But, but, but surely, it's more nuanced, right? Surely there's more to this. I mean, Jesus, this is kind of like sticking the barb in pretty deep. Uh-huh. Surely there's, there's more to it. There's not. The Apostle Paul knows they're not. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul doesn't nuance the gospel. He says, here it is, straightforward. I'm delivering what I've received. That Christ died and was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, deal with it. That's how it works. He died for salvation to those who believed and judgment for those who reject. Jesus says it. It's not complicated. It's not nuanced. Jesus just lays it out. I am going away for victory and for judgment. That's why I came. So don't be surprised. Then he goes on and he says a second thing. And this is highly troubling. Not only is he going away. He, he, knowing all things, knows what's coming. And he says, and you will seek me. You're going to seek me. You're going to look all over. You're going to be in a tizzy. You're going to get worked up at times. Thinking you have found me. You're going to search for me. And and you say, see, look, there's a window. There's a glimmer of hope. They're going to regret it and and they're going to look for Jesus. It's not what he's saying. You understand what Jesus is saying? You're going to keep looking for false messiahs. I am the messiah. You're going to keep looking for the messiah, but it's too late. He's already gone. Because I've gone away. The history of the Jewish nation is littered with false messiahs. Time after time, year after year, they believed they had found the Messiah. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection, it continued. He was right. They kept seeking for him, meaning kept seeking for the Messiah. And yet he had been there in their very midst. He had preached truth to them and they had rejected him. They would not be seeking Jesus of Nazareth. Let's be clear. What he intends to say is you're going to keep looking for the Messiah because you've rejected the true Messiah. Rather than accept me in that reality that I am he, as he goes on to say in verse 24, you're going to continue to search for a different Messiah. And don't act like you've not seen this before. It's human nature. When we bump up against authority that that we don't like, we get real creative, don't we? Very creative. And it's pretty funny at times when we're real young because you go and ask mommy for something or daddy for something and they say no 
It's amazing what kids can do to go find the answer they want. <laughs> They'll go to the other parent. And they'll say, hey, mom, dad, <clears throat> you know, my throat's so dry, I think a popsicle would help. Do you think, could I have one? Oh, sure, and your dads, especially us, we're halfway opening the package and mom walks in, what's going on? And the child's eyes do this, right? They've been had. They're going to keep looking because they weren't happy with what they heard the first time. Truth stands. Let it lie. Jesus says you're you're going to keep seeking because you didn't like what you heard the first time. I am the only true Messiah. I know you. I know your hearts. I know you're going to continue to search and everything you come up with will be false. It will be an error. It's what everyone does who rejects Jesus. You don't accept the biblical Jesus, as he says in verse 24, you will fall for anything. And men do. And they even slap the name Jesus on it. But it's not the biblical saving Jesus. We, because of our fallen inclination to manufacture idols, when we reject the truth, we'll believe every lie. And any lie. You know, I've had people ask me in preaching, how do you address error? Well, sometimes you need to address it head on. But the lion's share of pulpit ministry and of pastoral ministry ought to be this, teaching the truth. You know why? Because truth weeds out a multitude of error. It arms God's people with discernment as to their own propensity to manufacture idols and believe lies. How do we combat that? Preach the truth. Preach the truth. And Jesus says, here's the tragic reality. In your false seeking, you will die in your sin. The first time he says it in these four verses. You will die in your sin. Now, I want you to make a note with me for a moment. You can take your pencil or pen if you're taking notes and highlighting. And I want you to circle the word sin and make a note in the margin to say singular. And then I want you to come down to verse 24 and notice that he says you will die in your sins, plural. And circle that and make a note out to the side that says Plural. And we're going to come back to the distinguishing of those things in just a moment. But what Jesus refers to first in verse 21 is that they die in the sin, singular, of unbelief. You will die in your sin of unbelief, and it is for this sin... That you will be ultimately judged by God as a guilty rebel against him. That is the fundamental thing. The sin of unbelief is the fountainhead from which all other sins flow. We can also look at that in reverse. It is belief in God and believing God that covers all. 
all sin. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham did not have to do different things for different sins in order to be accepted by God. He believed God. Period. And it was credited to him as a righteousness that covers all sin. Jesus says here, you are going to die in your sin of unbelief, which will lead then to the judgment of all your sins, plural, verse 24. The Apostle Paul illustrates this for us in Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Again, the the application is different than what Jesus is making here, but the principle and the truth remain the same. Whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. Church discipline, likewise in Matthew 18 and in other passages, occurs because of a singular violation of God's word, namely a lack of repentance. Same principle, same pattern. If someone refuses to repent of sin or sins, plural, in their life, and it gets to that point where they have to be brought before the church and put out of the church, what is it for? Is it for the actual sin? No, it's because they refuse to repent of that sin. It's the same principle here. Jesus says, you are going to die in the sin of unbelief. And when you die in unbelief, you will give an answer for every sin that you have ever committed. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. Think about the weight of that. Every sin that you have ever committed, including the sins of thought, of ambition, of attitude, of heart, of laziness, of just neglecting to do what you should have done, or active sins of command, every one of them. You will stand before God and one by one by one by one be held guilty for. If you do not believe. That is a burden no one can bear. The sin of unbelief opens the torrent of judgment. But if you do, if you do believe, whoever believes in him, John 3, 15, will have eternal life. No more judgment. Verse 18, but he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Last Phrase in verse 21. Because they do not belong to the Father, they will never go to the Father. He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You don't know the Father. You don't belong to the Father. Don't expect to be with the Father. Let's not not dress up the pig and put lipstick on it and pretend that it's okay. I know that's the... Spirit of the age that we live in, you can be anything you want to be. Dress it up, change its name, go down to the courthouse, change documents, whatever. 
But that's not how it is. If you do not know the Father, no matter what you call it, no matter how it looks, hey, Pharisees, no matter how righteous you look, no matter how fastidious you are with temple activities, you will not go to the Father because you do not believe. And this is the the point of verse 19. Go back to verse 19. Jesus says, it's reading this. You don't know me. You don't know my father. If you did, you would know me. And if you knew me, you'd know my father. They think they know him. But they don't. They think they know the father, but they don't. They think that they actually want the Father, but they don't. They think that they're accepted by the Father, but they're not. God is angry with them. As He is all the wicked every day, Scripture teaches us. They think they will be with the Father, but they will never be found in His presence. This is what you call deception. They're in their mind, they're just, oh man, things are good. Jesus is the one that's off. Jesus says, no. No, and all of this is coming upon you because you have rejected me. As I am. The son they reject and the son they mock in the next verse is the only pathway to the father. To have the son is to have life. 1 John 5.12, he who has the son has life. He who has not the son does not have life. Very clear. So once you look at verse 22 now, there is a mocking of the judgment Jesus has declared. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You see, the Jewish mind viewed the taking of one's life as absolutely forbidden and relegated to only those who were insane. They were living in a state of insanity. Therefore, they did what they did. And they are looking at Jesus and going, is he insane? They're not seeking truth. They're not actually asking if that's why they're mocking him. They're saying he's insane. They're mocking the judgment that he warns them about so that they might have life. And what they're saying is, yeah, he's right. We're not crazy. We're not going with you down that road. You're crazy. We're not. We're saying we know what we're doing. But what they've missed is that they're the ones who are insane because of sin. Blinded by sin. They cannot go to the Father. Jesus tried to tell them in verse 19, you can't go to the Father. You don't even know him. You've never met him. 
You would know him if he slapped you upside the head. In fact, he has. Here I am. God in flesh come to communicate directly to you. And you have just mocked me. No man goes to the Father. Only one man goes to the Father. The man, Jesus Christ. And we, when we go, go through him. They're not going. Sin has literally made them insane. Have you noticed that about sin? Sin makes you crazy. Sin will cause you to justify all kinds of bizarre stuff. Sin will stir up emotions. Sin will will, will cause thoughts. Sin will do all kinds of crazy things in order to avoid truth. Shining its light upon it. And the rightness of what is being said about it. That's them. Mocking Jesus. What gives Jesus the right to be so bold in his declarations? We find in verse 23 the authority behind his judgment. Would you look at verse 23? He says to them, you are from below. I, however, am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. Jesus demonstrates the basis for everything that he says. I bear all authority in heaven. Just as he says in Matthew 20, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the repository of all of the authority of the Godhead. That's why he can say what he says. The best man can do is say, well, I don't think or I don't feel or so and so doesn't say. Jesus says, I appeal to the ultimate source of truth. That is myself. I am not from this earth. You are. I am from above. And I have all authority. When Jesus says to them that he is from a place outside of this world, what is he essentially saying to them? I live in the realm of truth. You live in the realm of lies. Of lies. John eight forty four. you are of your father, the devil, the father of lies. That's all he can do is lie and being from the realm of the, the devil, that is this world, they are products of lies. And Christian, we need to be reminded of this, I think. That when you speak truth, hear me. Because this is going to affect you. When you speak truth, In a world of lies, it will always sound out of place. It will always go against the grain. It will always chafe. It will seem antithetical even to the Christian gospel message at times because of our fallen minds and the way they work. 
when you speak truth in a world of lies, it will be out of place. And it will be hated. It will be hated. And it will be pushed back against because it threatens the lie. So don't be shocked. Don't be alarmed. Don't be hurt. This is what happens when we speak truth into a world that operates on the basis of lies, as Jesus says, I am not from above, you're from below. I am from above, you are not. You are from below. I am not of this world, you are of this world. You are fallen in a fallen world of sin. It will not make sense to you. And, and Christian, one, one thing, and I would just go back to giants of the faith that can be so helpful at times like this. When we actually have to start applying the truth Jesus talks about, and when we follow the way of the Master, and when we speak the truth so that the world might live, even though it is speaking truth into lies, I'm reminded of what Charles Spurgeon said. Bold-hearted men will always be considered mean-spirited by cowards, by those who have believed the lie. Spurgeon lived this out amidst the downgrade controversy in the Baptist Union in England in his day. He was kicked out by his own brother. He was hurt deeply. In fact, most of his biographers and those who who knew him say they believe that's what contributed to his death at such an early age. Was the heartbreak of rejection for speaking the truth by his own denomination, by his own family members. Jesus says, my authority is greater than this world. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. You are from a place that lacks all authority and really lacks all truth. You're from a fallen place of sin. You're perceptions of truth and reality are misguided they follow patterns of this world which by the way is the world stable or is it advancing no john says the world is passing away with all of its lusts do you really want to build your foundation on something you know is eroding none of you are going to go build a house on top of a sinkhole right why? We know what's coming. The foundation's just going to fall out. And all of your life with it. This difference of origination as Jesus challenges the source of authority not only explains the different approaches that they are taking and he is taking, but it explains the different outcome that is on its way unless, unless, what a Good word. What a great word. It's the U-turn in life. Daniel mentioned in Sunday school, as did Terry, those two words, but God, this goes right up there with it, unless. 
Jesus says now in verse 24, there is a remedy for this judgment. It hinges upon this word, unless. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, all of them. Because you do not believe, you will die in all of them, with all of them upon you, unless. We're not there yet. So there's good news still for you, Pharisees. Turn around. Don't go down the road any further. Do it now. You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. It's not an ultimatum. It's an off-ramp. It is an off-ramp off of the highway leading to hell. And he says, take it now. Don't delay. The reality of your death is upon you. Accept the remedy. You will die and you will bear unbelievable You cannot comprehend the culpability you bear for all your sins. Now I want you to notice something interesting in verse 24. The condemnation is mentioned twice, the remedy once. Sandwiched in between the judgment is the remedy. Please, please hear me. You will die in your sins. Let me say it again. You will die in your sins unless you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not debatable. And this is sooner than you think. Sooner than you think. Last night, a 36-year-old young man went out into eternity. It's closer than you think. Hey, kids, you may be a teenager, you may be a preteen. Death is closer than you think. Our culture has done you a disservice by making you feel like you'll be young forever. Death may come tonight. Death may come today. Adults, Our medication, our doctors, our cautions do not prevent the day of death. It comes when it comes. By God's sovereign decree, by his providential appointment. Do not let that day come with your sins, plural, upon you. It will not be well for you. God for all eternity will pour out his wrath upon you. Some have said, well, hell is the absence of God's presence. No, it's not. It is the presence of God as judge without a mediator, Jesus Christ, to take the blow for you. And you will face for all of eternity unmitigated wrath upon wrath for every sin you've ever committed. 
There is no life sentence in hell. It goes on for eternity. You will curse yourself. You will hate the reality that God has created for you a body that can endure for eternity such judgment. But it is coming unless you believe that Jesus absorbed all of that wrath for you. And he has. You must believe. You must believe. Don't be found under the fountain of sin. As Calvin said, unbelief is the fountain cause of all evil. Every sin counted. Every sin judged. Can you stand up to that? Do you really want that? Why then persist in not Turning to Jesus, believing that he is the son of God offered in your place. He does not want your works. He does not want your efforts. He does not want your good intentions. He wants your belief. That's all. He is the son of God, the keeper of the law, where you are only a breaker of all the law. He is the substitute and the sacrifice To absorb the penalty of sin against you. He is the risen Lamb of God. Because all that He is and has done is perfect. God has raised Him and given Him life again. Life He offers to you if you believe. But if you don't. We must close with how Jesus closes. You will die in your sin. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Be honest. Be forthright. Be unwavering. In your commitment to proclaim him as the savior for the world. Don't let the world manipulate you. Confuse you. distract you turn to Jesus speak of Jesus speak truth about Jesus do it in an uncompromised and uncompromising way as he himself does and after we read a text like this in which Christ has so clearly spoken I don't know how you can be any more clear Clearly you can't, or God would have inspired that. The conclusion is simple. And it's in the form of a question, do you believe? Do you believe? Or are you living in the danger of unbelief? Let's pray. Father, only you could speak so clearly both in judgment and in salvation. Issuing the guilty verdict and at the same time the off-ramp and the solution and the remedy of unless. 
How good are you, Father, that not only do you give the message perfectly and rightly as you should, you also grant the faith to believe. Faith that cannot come from a depraved and fallen heart. Faith that cannot be manipulated and stirred up by human manipulation. It's faith that must come from above. And so, Father, I ask that you would grant faith and life to see and light to see for anyone who has not believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came and lived and died in their place and was raised from the dead victorious for their sins. Give them faith, Lord. Grant them faith to believe and cause them to know this is the greatest gift and joy and triumph that could ever be given to them. To reject the ways of death and accept the ways of life that come through Jesus Christ alone. Father, never let us waver, equivocate, or in any way obfuscate this message. Let us be clear with its proclamation. Not because we enjoy being preachers of judgment, but because we rejoice when the shepherd rejoices and a lost sheep is found. When the coin is found. When the prodigal is awakened by the Spirit of God and returns home, believing and repentant to his father. Let us preach for that goal. That the glory of God and the glories of the grace that is in the gospel would be felt in every heart and life that we know and come in contact with. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not equivocate with we who do believe. You were honest. Your spirit was accurate in his conviction of our sin. And you drew us out of sin with the boldness of those truths that we were under judgment and were dying in our sins. But God, and you convinced us of those things and you granted us faith to believe. Lord, may we rejoice in your great work to us. And celebrate you and glorify you for you alone are worthy. And we ask and pray these things so that the chief shepherd, the greatest evangelist, Jesus Christ, would be magnified for all eternity. It is in his glorious name that we pray. Amen.